Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. Back and better than ever, Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests on the Goodyear Hotline. Huge night tonight for the NBA, present and future. Huge day yesterday as baseball moves on from its past. Tom is still feisty at 44, and college sports as we know them will never be the same. So much to do. Here we go. Here we go! Only one place to start. All right, so we had a little debate at the very end of Get Up, which we just wrapped up on ESPN television a few minutes ago, about who was the most dominant player in sports today. We had Buster Olney, Robert Stanberry Olney III. We had Kendrick Perkins, Big Perk. And we had Damian Woody, D. Wood. Each of them representing the sports as they know best. Obviously, D. Wood, a football player, picked Aaron Donald. Which is a pretty good pick, actually. If you're actually if you're gonna if you're gonna make me if you're gonna force me to pick a number two, that wouldn't be a bad pick. Kendrick Perkins picked Giannis Antetokounmpo, which to me, for the life of me, made absolutely no sense. Earlier in the show, we'd had a discussion about whether the best player in the NBA was LeBron James or Kevin Durant, and then he decided that the most dominant is Giannis Antetokounmpo. So I'm just gonna leave that there. Perk is bigger than me; he can say whatever he wants. Well, let's make this Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. There is only one correct answer. Jacob deGrom is lapping the field. And if you are not following this, if you are not one who follows baseball or at least doesn't follow it closely, then let me tell you something that you will find interesting. Jacob deGrom right now is the greatest pitcher that ever lived right now. He's not historically the greatest of all time. He has not surpassed the greatest Hall of Famers that ever lived. But no one in the history of the game, and the sport has been around something in the vicinity of 150 years, no one has ever pitched better than he's pitching right now. And the maybe the best illustration of that, straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise, comes, Hembo, from a text you sent me. I'm running around yesterday. I'm, I'm trying to have a day. Right, The Mets played a, a, an afternoon game yesterday, and I got stuff going on, you know, running a few errands. I'd been uh, off on a little bit of a vacation, so I'm trying to catch up with a few things I'm behind on. I'm not really paying attention, or I'm not fully aware of what's going on in the game. And Hembo sends me a text that simply says, the Mets just bunted in the first inning of a Major League Baseball game in 2021. Why is that so significant? <laughs> because the Mets chose to play Greeny for one run in the first inning, which is something that you almost never see teams do in any inning in baseball today. But Jacob, <laughs> Jacob DeGrom on the mound, he's obviously not going to allow it any runs. He almost never does. So the Mets got their leadoff hitter on. Francisco Lindor is their two-hitter. He laid down a sacrifice bunt. Advanced the runner to second, he wound up scoring, and the Mets never looked back. It, it's incredible. For those of you who do follow the sport, um, I mean, that's you don't see that in the ninth inning. No. <laughs> and the, guys, don't move a runner over in the ninth inning. In baseball today, you don't sacrifice an out. But the adverse corollary, the, the equal opposite reaction to that is you do if you have Jacob hmm. DeGrom. The guys in our New York morning show, DCR, were talking about it today. Who does his job better than anybody else right now in sports? And the his answer is one it's, specific it's not even job. up for debate. It's, it's really not. DeGrom is better at what he does than anybody multiple times over. Yeah, I don't even, I mean, I can't even off the top of my head think of anyone else. Uh, we came up with, I mean, Djokovic is there. Djokovic is there, yep. I don't even know who else there is, to be honest with you. Lewis Hamilton is yeah. dominant. Djokovic is not as dominant as Jacob DeGrom. I, I, I. I love the Djokovic story. I love the big three story in tennis that is on the verge of happening. Wimbledon begins next week. 
if Djokovic wins Wimbledon, then he will have 20 slams in his career, and Nadal will have 20, and Federer would have 20, which is unimaginable if you think about it. No one in golf is even close. No one is dominating the sport. If you wanted to use the term dominating very, very specifically, you could talk about Bryson DeChambeau and the sort of pumped-up physical approach he's taking to it, but he's not even the best player in the world, so there's no way he's dominating the sport. You know who might be? Simone Biles might be. She just won her seventh U.S. championship as, as she gears up for the Olympics. I, that's the only equal in sports right now would be her, obviously, an individual sport. That's the only name that comes you to know, mind You know, that's good. Th- that is true. When I, and I don't consider myself to be nearly as expert in, the, in gymnastics as I am in many others, but all of us obviously have watched her perform. And when you watch her, you think to yourself, I've been watching the Olympics all my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I re- I'm old enough to remember Olga Corbett and Nadia Comaneci um, winning gold medals in the Olympics and obviously through Mary Lou Retton and so many others. Simone Biles is just on a different level. Michael Phelps was on a different level too. Katie Ledecky, I think, is on a different level. So to, to keep this a reasonable conversation, mm-hmm. let's take individual sports out of it. Okay. Because it's just so different. You know, I don't know the soccer as well as many do. Nuno is a guy like like people will debate between Messi and Ronaldo and Neymar, right? There isn't one person who you would say is dominant on the level that Jacob deGrom is, right? It's it's Messi and Ronaldo, but at it's probably most people would say Messi. But that's my point: is anyone else might say someone else, or s- correct? Someone might depending say on your pre- yeah, depending on the preference, it will be either or. There isn't one. I don't believe there's one just dominant or one guy that says is head and shoulders above everyone else. So, uh, so Degrom is that the Degrominator is the best, the most dominant athlete in American team sports, maybe in any team mm-hmm. sport today. I can't speak to <clears throat> things like rugby and cricket. And I did get an interesting cricket email one time <laughs> recently, just recently about cricket and about the sticky stuff. But that's neither here nor there. The point of it is he's dominating at a level that nobody else has. He was also the first player ever. He goes in the record books as the first player ever yesterday to be checked by the umpires for the sticky stuff. And he had a big smile on his face as he walked over. So you knew he was fine. Like, no one has ever looked less worried about anything <laughs> than he looked as he walked over there. And they looked at his hat and they looked at his glove and they looked at his belt. And there is a pretty remarkable little number that you gave me before we came on the air this morning, Hembo, about the way Jacob deGrom has been impacted since they started paying attention to this sicky stuff. Yeah, since they started doing this, uh, spin rates across baseball, both team-wise and individually, have just plummeted. Jacob deGrom, since they started talking about this stuff, his spin rate is up 90 uh, RPM on average, which is an increase in 4%, which is one of the largest jumps over the last month or so. So if there was any question whether or not he was impacted by this beforehand, the answer to that pretty clearly is no. All right, so we're going to talk to John Smoltz about this. Uh, Smoltz will join us live in less than 10 minutes, and we'll go through what's going on with DeGrom, and we'll go through the sticky stuff and everything else. If you're looking for great baseball conversation, he's obviously terrific. So Smoltz coming up in just a few minutes. I'm Greeny. I'm presented by Progressive Insurance. You could save big when you bundle your auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. Visit Progressive.com. I'm sorry, what? What? I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry, what? Meanwhile, the most historically significant athlete of this time is Tom Brady. And my favorite Tom Brady by far is petty Tom Brady. Brady has almost as many personas as he has haircuts. Like Tom Brady never looks the same in consecutive (laughs) pictures. Am I the only one who's noticed that? And when you see pictures of Tom Brady, he never looks the same. No, this is a new sort of Tom Petty, huh? Peyton Manning has had the same exact hair his whole life. Like go back to pictures of him at Tennessee. 
He looks exactly the same. Brady, if you look back at pictures of him like in the late 2000s, he had the long hair. He had like the Sean Cassidy haircut for a while. (laughs) He's had like every ridiculous, not ridiculous, some of them look better than others, I think, but whatever. Either way, he has more personas too. He's got gracious Tom. He's got funny Tom. But my favorite Tom is Petty Tom. Tom Petty. Tom Tom Petty, I like it. And the heartbreakers. He's, he breaks a lot of hearts. Because <laughs> Tom Brady has never, and I mean never, forgotten being the 199th pick in the NFL draft. Now, he is as polished at saying the right things as literally anyone ever. He learned from Bill. But when he lets his guard down, it is delightful. So he's on The Shop, the HBO talk show. And the episode hasn't been released yet, but, but by now, maybe you've seen this. It was all over social media yesterday. They released a little promo clip for it and in that clip he's talking about his free agency of last year and he says one of the teams they weren't interested at the very end and I was thinking you're sticking with that mother bleeper and I thought to myself I love it I love everything about that what I love the most about it is the glimpse into his psyche the pettiness is great I mean the I love I adore the pettiness the fact that that makes him mad but it is a a a a peek, a glimpse into his psyche. The great ones just have that. And I had the privilege as a young man and a young reporter in this business of seeing it up close and personal with Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan would get mad at things and you would say to yourself, he's Michael Jordan. Why is he mad at that? Like if I was Michael Jordan, nothing would offend me. (laughs) Everyone on planet Earth, if everyone on planet Earth loves you, how can anything make you that mad? That would be the way I'd look at it. And that would be one of the 6,000 reasons why I'm not Michael Jordan, and he is. And Tom Brady is. Tom Brady is that close to being that. The most interesting thing about it, however, I think is that it is totally calculated. By leaving it as ambiguous as he did, he casts doubt or at least question into the minds of half the quarterbacks in the league. If you think we're wondering who he was talking about, imagine what they must be thinking. So do we think he was talking about San Francisco and Garoppolo? That was certainly, you know, sort of circulating yesterday. Was it New Orleans? I believe he was very close to going to New Orleans. I don't think he would think of Drew Brees that way. Was it Las Vegas? That one sets off a ding, 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 ding for me. Was it Denver? Absolutely. It's just easy to forget now that when Tom Brady was a free agent a year and a half ago, most people thought, Well, maybe not most. A lot of people thought he was washed. The idea that it was so obvious, such a no-brainer to sign this 43-year-old quarterback didn't exist. It wasn't this obvious. Tampa Bay took a leap of faith and got it a million times right. And they won a Super Bowl for it, and maybe they'll win more. But it wasn't quite as obvious then as it seems now. I love the clip. Either way, we're just getting started. Going to be really busy today. John Smoltz will join us live coming up in a few minutes. And then something happening next month that is really going to irk me. We'll talk about it next. This is Greeny on ESPN Radio. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. 
Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Greeny, the podcast. You see him on MLB Network and, of course, on Fox, and he will join Matt Vaskersian to call tonight's MLB Network showcase telecast of the Dodgers and Padres, 10 o'clock Eastern time. The one and only John Smoltz is back with us on ESPN Radio. Hello again, John Smoltz. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's always a pleasure. And I want to start, obviously, your, your game tonight is a really good one, and those really good teams out there in the NL West. We'll get to a bunch of stuff, but I opened the show today with DeGrom, who I, I think, I don't even think it's really a, a a hot take to say he's the most dominant athlete in American team sports today. And I would just like to hear through your eyes as, as one who has pitched at the highest level, what are we seeing in Jacob deGrom? Well, we're seeing the evolution of a guy who uh, is, first of all, is a great athlete. Pitch don't get because of a specialized kind of position, but he's a guy who played shortstop. I did his debut on MLB Network, and I'll never forget it because I've made a pro- proclamation that this will be the best Mets pitcher to ever wear a uniform. And a lot of people looked at me like, I mean, they got the Dark Knight, you got this guy, you got that. Like, what are you saying? I said, what he has is a gift that doesn't come along. And when he came into the game, he had an arm side fastball that I'd never seen, meaning he threw into a right hander as easy as anybody that, that ever pitched. And then now, I also say that if he ever learns to get on the other side of the plate, he's going to be so dominant that it's going to be tough to hit him. And that's exactly what he's done. He's progressed. He's in tune with his body. Yes, there are times where, you know, he's not very big in nature and he has left some games with some some injuries, but he knows what's going on. And I think we've never seen anything like it because as a master sides of the plate at an early age, learned how to throw that slider and, and, and change up. And, look, I, I I loved him when I first saw him. He's one of my favorite pitchers to watch, and he has continued to progress and handle everything that's come along the way, by the way, with no runs, no wins, and just keeps marching to that drum. And he's got a great attitude about it. Yeah, I mean, he's been that kind of dominant. Tom Seaver is the greatest pitcher ever to wear a Mets uniform, and this guy's you know heading in that direction. Right in this moment, he is the best pitcher ever to wear any uniform. Can you describe, as one who has had stretches where you've just been thoroughly dominant, what that's like when you're out there and everything you're doing is working, and because he's had that basically every single pitch he's thrown this season, just what it feels like? Yeah, I'll tell you, I, I only really did it for a year, and that was 1996, uh, where it felt like every time I went out, I had a great chance of winning. I've never seen anything like this over the course of the last three and a half, four years, because people don't understand. I mean, he has a great grasp of when I let go of the baseball, there's less I can do, so i got to try to make the best pitch I can. But when you're talking about not winning games and only giving up one run, and your team just has the pressure of not scoring, and it's changed this year now. They've, they've won at least seven in a row, and I knew it would change. I can't describe what that's like. I don't think many people can. You know, Clayton Kershaw was in that stretch as a left-handed pitcher for a good portion of his career. Uh, Greg Maddox was in that 
stretch where dominance and and every start he went out, he completed a perfect pitch almost seemed like every time. But Jacob DeGrom has taken it to another level. John Smoltz with us here on ESPN Radio on the Goodyear Hotline, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear more driven. He also now will be the answer to the trivia question. Who was the first pitcher ever to be checked by the umpires for the sticky stuff as he came off the mound, which he did yesterday at the end of the first inning. And you could tell from the smile on his face that he wasn't the least bit concerned about it. But I really have been wanting to get to you for the last week or so since this became a huge topic around the sport, John. Your perspective on the change that baseball is making here and the way they chose to handle it. Yeah, there's a couple layers here. First of all, like anything else, when it's something that change, changes in the midstream of what we're doing, it's going to be a shock to the system of a lot of people that are that the change is being asked of, right? And I think in two weeks, this won't be as big of an issue as it is right now. And certainly it's not a great look, right? You don't want to have every pitcher be checked. But there was a warning, obviously, in spring training that this was coming and giving everybody ample time to understand whatever they were using to uh, make the necessary changes because at some point they were going to do this. And I don't know that anybody or a lot of people thought it might happen, but it's, that's where we're at here. And a couple years ago, two, three years ago, you know, there was a lot of talk of the baseball, right? Ball was going out of the park at a mm-hmm. record rate, was staying in the air longer. And I haven't touched a baseball in nine years, ten years. So I'm going to trust the pitchers when they say, hey, the ball's different, it's slicker, we're having a hard time, there was blisters. So three years ago, might, you might look at the evolution of what led to this. Because something had to lead to this. It wasn't just science and technology. Now, the second thing that works against pitchers is the technology so good, we know everybody's spin rate every single time. Now, when I was pitching, I can probably tell you, there's no way that my spin rate was as consistent game to game But the spikes that we see today probably led to, okay, something's going on. So once you give the pitchers the opportunity to learn, certainly in the summer, there's not a need for this. Um, And you didn't hear hitters back then complain about the high velocity. They wanted the pitchers to know where it's come, where it's going and and where it's coming from because hitters don't want to get hit, especially up near the head. But I think the imbalance got to a point where baseball had to say, okay, this is too much. We've got, to, we, we've got to dial it back. We've got to make this change. And pitchers are going to learn how to pitch without it, just like they did before. And you get away from the habitual act of just being comfortable um, and, and knowing how a ball comes out of your hand. The reason I say in two weeks to three weeks it won't be an issue because pitchers will get to that point where it's not, going to, it's not like they, it's the only thing that made them pitch. It's just you know how to pitch. When the ball comes out of your hand, a certain feeling, you got to get used to it differently. You know, I had Ron Darling on here last week talking about this, and he was telling me that his vision of where this thing should ultimately go and, and maybe should have gone immediately is to some sort of universally accepted or acceptable substance, something that everyone feels good about that isn't quote-unquote cheating, whether it's this combination of rosin and sunscreen that we hear about or whatever it is, that, that all the pitchers could use so they have the grip they feel they need, but it doesn't create an unfair or disproportionate advantage for the pitchers. That, that was Ron Darling's thought when he was on with me last week. What do you think? Yeah, I've always thought, you know, that sometimes, you know, in our sport, we overreact, um, but sometimes, you know, we end up getting it right. And I think that baseball had to do something from the standpoint of what was going on to the degree science has been, you know, I don't know what this substance is, but it's obviously pretty good. And the one thing that I can tell you is like the, the baseball that comes out, you know, that used to, it used to be rubbed up by the umpires. Now it's in a universally rubbed up by the home team and you just don't get 
the same baseball. Imagine if they took the basketball and changed it in the NBA and the guys who are pure shooters had to get used to a different type of basketball. The feeling would be different. And that's all we're talking about here is the feeling's different. Subconsciously, hitters are going to have confidence indirectly in this next two weeks, and you're going to see that statistically. But then pitchers will get back to feeling like throwing the baseball, staying on the ball, spinning the baseball. Here's what the argument I've always been a little unnerved about unnatural movement from this stuff. That's not true, but you can spin the ball. You get more spin rate. You can get the ball to bite more with the grip. Um, and the baseball has changed again this year. I mean, baseball has at least MLB has talked about how they tried to soften the ball a little bit or deaden it. So all these changes are going on. you got to give time to players to be able to get used to it. But I would agree with Ron Darling in theory that that would be the perfect scenario to have everyone agree, including the hitters, that they're not at this point where pitchers are feeling like the ball is going to slip out of their hands. Now, in the summer, again, that's not – it's a non-issue. It's hot. Uh, it's not an issue to get sweat and go to the rosin bag. The last thing you want is you want something to create unnatural movement. That's where you get uh, where it's so over the line. And that substance always has been banned. But it's been, it's been in the rules for a long time. It's just now being enforced at the level we've never seen before. And I, like I said, in two weeks – I really believe it's a non-issue. All right, we'll see, John. And again, Matt Vaskersian. We'll have tonight's MLB Network showcase, Dodgers, Padres, 10 o'clock Eastern time. One thing before I let you go, I can't, I can't not hear about this. What's the best round of golf you've played so far in 2021? Hasn't been good. <laughs> it's been a rough 2021, uh, to be honest. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to research uh, or, or get back to, to, to where I was before. I think it's only been... Um, I'll be honest, so I've been a couple get rounds that seem like it's been under par. So uh, five under. Five under is the best round that I've had, and I've got Tahoe coming up in a couple weeks. So I want to be the oldest guy to ever win it because I haven't won it yet. So the longer it goes, the harder it's getting. But at least I got that motivation. Let's go. I love it. I love the competitiveness, and I love the fact that five under par is something that frustrates you to the extent that it obviously does. You're the best. Thank you, John Smaltz. It's always a pleasure. We'll be watching, and we'll catch up again soon. You got it. Thanks for having me. All right, that's John Smaltz again. Tim Kirkshen will tell you he's the most competitive person he's ever been around. We were talking about the competitive psyche of a guy like Tom Brady. Smoltz is a guy in that sort of mentality um no i regret letting him go I, sh- I should have had him i haven't done asking someone to tell me a story in a while the most memorable baseball game i ever watched he pitched you know the jack morris game mm. um i should have asked him about that but one way or another he's so good at golf it's ridiculous as evidenced by the fact that five under like sometimes i'll hear people say things about golf golf is the sport i know the best because it's the only one i play now obviously i don't play it on that level but the best thing about golf is that no matter what level you play it on, you understand it. Like in the same way that John Smoltz can watch Jacob DeGrom pitch and he can see stuff that I won't see. You know, he'll, when I watch golf, I see, I see that. Like I don't, I don't think there's a, there are mental parts of it. I don't want to say there's things. I don't want to say there's nothing Jack Nicholas sees that I don't see, but I think I see it better in that sport than I do others just because I play it so much and think about it so much. And every once in a while, people will say things and they just jump out at me. Like when he said, yeah, it's been really rough, really bad, Greeny. Uh, five under is the best that we've had so far. <laughs> like, that's just hilarious to me. Um, and there was a moment like that on the telecast the other day. I forget who, I think it was McElroy who was hitting a ball from the fairway. And the comment was, Yes, he's 273. He's 273 yards away from the fairway. So he easily has that in the bag. 
And I thought to myself, just once in my life, I would like someone to say of me, I easily have 273 in the bag. <laughs> what did he pull out? Was it an iron? Just a sentence. Yeah, no, he pulled out a, a wood. Okay. He hit a fairway wood, and he hit a 273 onto the, fair, onto the green someplace because those guys are not human beings, and we are. Smoltz is almost that kind of good at golf and is one of the great uh, pitchers in the history of the sport. So anyway, great fun chatting with him, as always. The NBA Western Conference Finals are right here on ESPN Radio tonight. Game two, Suns Clippers, presented by Indeed. Uh, coverage begins at 8.30 Eastern time on most of these ESPN Radio stations. Meanwhile, Greenies Takes. All right, uh, this, you know, um, Nuno brought this up, actually, in the Google Doc the other day. And I think it's a very interesting thought. It's one I hadn't considered. You can add Kevin Durant's name to the list of stars who have committed to play for Team USA in the upcoming Olympics. And Nuno wrote, Am I wrong to say that none of these players better load manage during the season because they're tired? And I started thinking about that. LeBron James had a series of tweets about a week ago or thereabouts as the injuries keep piling up in these playoffs about how he said it, he told you ahead of time, this, this, the second half of the season schedule is too, uh, you know, compact and, and, that, and that there wasn't enough downtime between the end of last season, the new one here, and that's why we have these injuries. You saw the tweets. You know what I'm talking about. And look, I support his frustration. I, I get it. Whether, I don't know 100%. I know the NBA released some, st- some statistics that suggest he's not all right. I, I don't know who's right and who's wrong in that, and that's not even the point of this conversation. But what I will say is that summer, which LeBron is telling you was so valuable, that downtime for these guys to rest their bodies and do whatever it is they do, whatever training they do, it's not like they're going to be just sitting on a lounge chair for four months, but whatever it is they do to keep their bodies at at where they need them to be, they do not have the opportunity to do when they're going to go play for Team USA. And so... I do think that it is an interesting question that Nuno raises. You ask these questions. Greeny's question of the day. In the era of load management, do we have an issue with NBA players playing in the Olympics? Like, we're going to see a whole bunch of big names, and I was trying to find the names of all the guys who've committed. And again, I support all these guys playing in the Olympics. It's great for them. It's great opportunity for their brand. It's great. It's great. I mean, I, I think they all take... Great pride in representing our country. I mean, I'm, I'm in no way um, questioning that. I used to say that I liked it better when the collegiate players went, but we don't have that anymore. Like the collegiate players, the, the, the ones who would be Olympians, go to college for one year. So it's not even worth having that conversation anymore. But in the era of load management, where this sports science is dictating these guys should be taking off games during the season – Does anyone else feel some kind of way about seeing them playing in the Olympics? I don't know. I mean, I think it's a legitimate question. Hembo, I'm looking at your face and I can't read it. Oh, I want to see all these guys play in the Olympics. You do or don't? I absolutely do, except my guys. Except my guys. Obviously, every GM in the NBA doesn't want their guys to play. Right. But as a fan of basketball, who's going to watch these? Winning an Olympic gold medal has to be really high on the list of accomplishment for any of these guys, even the accomplished ones that have won multiple NBA championships. 
Otherwise, these guys wouldn't be as interested in playing. The only thing that you, you dread, of course, is the Paul George type situation. He broke his leg uh, in qualifying that one year, and that's obviously worst-case scenario. But that was I, a complete fluke, though, to be sure. clear. That was a freak. I know you know that, but just to make sure everybody knows, mm-hmm. that wasn't a wear and tear thing. That was a landed funny thing right. that I think could happen anytime. Right, with like an extend, extended stanchion kind of deal. Yeah. But I, I love watching these guys play and have a lot of respect for those who do. But you're just, you know, it's sort of like when your player uh, decides he wants to hit in the home run derby and then right. you see him go into a slump the next two months. That's sort of what you, you know, uh, guard against here. And obviously all the GMs across the league cross their fingers when these guys play for the I remember league. when Steve Nash was on the Mavericks, Mark Cuban voiced concern about him playing in the Olympics because he played for Canada, of course. Steve Nash is Canadian. And I remember we brought this up. This was a long, long, long time ago. And Mike and Mike, Cuban came on and I asked him about it. And he said, look. The American guys, I have no problem with them going to play because they're all carrying sort of an equal share of the load. But when you're playing for Canada, Steve Nash is so overwhelmingly the best player (laughs) on that team. He's expending a lot more than other guys are. I mean, you know, when the Olympic team is Jordan and Ewing and Barkley and, you know, that, you know, (laughs) no one guy. (laughs) Michael, we need you to score 50 tonight or we're not going to beat, you know, whoever it is we're playing, especially in those days. The basketball is so much more international now. There's so many more teams that are legitimately competitive than there were then. But so I understood that. Like, we were critical of, of Cuban for saying that. And then he came on, and when he explained it, I got it. I said, oh, okay, that makes sense to me. But I do, Nuno, let me ask you that question. Do you have it, if any player who plays in the Olympics, if they load manage games next season, will you have a problem with it? I will, especially in this time. Because real quick, if they make it, which we all expect them to win the gold or at least make it to the gold medal game, you're looking at October, uh, August 6th is the final. In this environment, right, uh, you know, during the still pandemic, I don't want to see this, especially early on next year where guys are taking the night off, especially someone like uh, Harden who's coming off a soft tissue or has a soft tissue injury, right, or Kevin Durant. Like, no, if you're going to do this, expect guys like me and other people to destroy you when you decide to take a night off uh, in December. I will say this. If that happens, the Google Doc will be searing. <laughs> the, com- the commentary from Nuno in the Google Doc will be worth the price of admission. We should release the Google Doc every once in a while. Nuno is a virtuoso mm. in the Google Doc. But if you think that playing in the Olympics has never had a significant impact on a player's NBA career, has not, has not made a significant difference in an entire NBA season or two, I'm here to tell you you're wrong, and I will tell you the story of exactly what happened. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. 
And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C., Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Greeny, the podcast. Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance. What a really interesting little moment this is in sports. You know, the calendar is not where it's usually set. Right now, we'd be... At the, at the end of the NBA Finals and things going on instead, tonight we got the draft lottery, we got the, the conference finals rolling along, we got a ton of football news that will not go away, the baseball has been terrific, we got controversy off the field, the hockey playoffs have been really good, so it's a great time if you love sports, and right now I got a little story for you. Just going to sit back and have a little story time. Tell me a story. Gather around one and all, because I'm going to tell you a story you may not know about how it is my fervent belief... That playing in the Olympics was the biggest contributor to Michael Jordan retiring the first time in 1993. So Jordan legendarily retired after the 93 final. It was a few months after, but they win the championship in 93. They beat Phoenix. It's their third consecutive championship. They've done the three-peat. He goes into his summer. His father is senselessly and tragically murdered. People have tried to connect those things together. It's irresponsible and completely untrue and unfair. With the exception of the fact that I believe the murder of his father sent him into a a place of sadness, depression, and all those things that would be fully understandable for anyone to be feeling at that moment. He and his father were very close. You've seen it. They called him Pops. He hung around the team all the time. Everybody who was around the Bulls knew James Jordan. So anyway... He then retires. It, is my, it will never stop being my belief that Michael Jordan's mental state was more fragile than usual because of the Olympics of 92. Let me tell you the story. The Bulls win the championship in 91. They then go through the 92 playoffs, and Michael Jordan at that time was the greatest player of all time. Michael Jordan, in that, that was him at his very best. He was the best player that ever lived, and he was never better than he was right then. That first three-peat is when he played basketball better than anybody else ever played basketball. And he pushed himself, you saw it in the documentaries, he pushed himself so hard, and so much was needed of him on those teams. And they got significantly challenged, if you recall, in 92. That was the year the Knicks took them seven tough games, Cleveland took them six tough games, Portland took them six tough games. The Bulls barely beat Portland in that game six. They needed a shot at the very end or they were going to a game seven in the final with Portland. So he was fried, exhausted, and he did not want to go to the Olympics. But he was pressured to by a lot of external forces, including the enormous, you know, this is not a criticism. This is just the way these things work. Michael, we're putting together this dream team. This is the first time ever we're going to Barcelona. This is going to be the biggest thing ever. We need you there. Nike, we need you there. NBA, we need you there. He went. 
And I'm telling you that I believe not having that summer off. I will never stop believing this. And I want to make it clear. I'm not reporting this as fact. He never said this to me. But I've always believed that that next season, 92-93, was the hardest season he ever played in the NBA because I think he was spent. He was emotionally, physically, and in every other way completely spent. And then they go through another long run to a championship. If you remember, they had to beat Phoenix in the final in game six on the road. They didn't have home court advantage. That was a year the Knicks were supposed to beat them. That was the year of the Charles Smith game. The Knicks were supposed to win that series. The, the Bulls were down two games to none in that series in the conference final. So that was a grueling, exhausting run. And so I've always believed that played a significant factor in Jordan stepping away. Now, Why am I telling you that story? Because I think it will have that impact on any of the players this year? Absolutely not. I'm telling it to you only because we were talking about NBA players playing in the Olympics, and I thought it was an interesting story. No more, no less. Meanwhile, the scoop. Did you see that Aaron Rodgers renewed his country club at Green, uh, excuse me, his membership at Green Bay Country Club and the the world went crazy? I I get why. Because we're now, we're just, we're left to just sort of read tea leaves. Every action that he takes, we're left to just sort of try and figure out what he means by that, right? Like he renewed his membership. Does that mean that he's coming back? Does anyone not think that he could get his membership at Green Bay Country Club anytime he wanted to? I mean, is the, is the Country Club of Green Bay literally saying, well, I'm sorry, Aaron, you didn't renew on time. So unfortunately, you're not only not going to be allowed to play, but you can't even play except during these limited hours, like, you know, like the junior members do. So Aaron Rodgers renewing his membership at a Green Bay Country Club is merely fascinating because everything he does is fascinating. But I will tell you, because I have occasion to talk to so many people, and Hembo does as well, that... I am getting an increasing sense that there are people who believe he's going to come back in July. And I will continue to say, I will believe it when I see it. That dude is the most stubborn person I could ever picture. And I, I can't picture him showing up, but I'm starting to think everyone thinks he will because the Packers just aren't going to budge. And it's going to be either sit out the season or play for the Packers. They all think he'll do that. Once again, I'll have to see it to believe it. Back in just a moment, we're rolling along busy here on ESPN Radio. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. 